What is up, guys? Welcome back to the Meeting Up Podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about your favorite directors and the deeper meaning behind their movies. And this week, we have the release of the highly anticipated adaptation of Dune. It is Denis Villeneuve's Dune. We are talk about it, uh, talking about it today, obviously with Sabrina and RB3. I'm excited to get into this movie because we saw it together in theaters. So we're gonna be getting into the detail of the film, uh, some of our favorite moments, our favorite details. Um, the idea of adapting this novel has been long in the making. So we're gonna be getting into all of that throughout this podcast. I feel like all of us pretty much came away from the movie pretty positive, so we don't necessarily have to go around the table and kind of try to rank it or anything like that. But now that we had a little bit more time to breathe um, and kind of dive into the discourse, even if the discourse is a little bit murky right now inside film Twitter or wherever you do your film discourse, how are you guys feeling about the way the movie's being received and the way you're feeling about the movie a few days after you've seen it? Sabrina. I'm actually really hyped. I'm hyped a lot of people enjoyed it. I think this one is, it's always a little bit tricky to introduce this whole brand new world, this new idea, um, something that we haven't seen in decades and a lot of people aren't necessarily familiar with. Um, I think they did a really good job of introducing this. I still, a few days out, am really, really intrigued by the film. I'm intrigued to see like, what we're gonna um, see next because this is only a really really small portion of the first book this was a lot of exposition this is basically like a prologue as to what's to come so the fact that you know we have this crazy stacked ensemble cast and i'm assuming we're getting into spoilers here and yeah. so many of the characters that we we're introduced to don't even make it out until the end absolute insanity i'm excited to see who is casted next to play all all of the people that we're going to see in the future um i think denny really knocked it out of the park rb3 how are you feeling about the movie now that you've gotten a chance to see it again i believe right oh i only saw it once full through and then i saw oh. certain parts on hbo max just parts that i wanted to revisit um overall this overall is definitely an amazing film it's definitely one of my favorites um that i've seen of the year so far and i think it does it does a tremendous job of making science fiction feel natural and like militaristic and tactile and feel just like an evolution of like our current society and i think <clears throat> we're going to talk about some of the deeper themes um in the movie um and you know throughout the the doom book in general um but i think it's interesting its perspective on the oppressed versus the oppressor and you know i think in the first you know in the first in the first movie in the initial in the initial 1984 movie and in the book the prologue begins with uh like exposition but they're kind of positioning um the ruling class the house of tarkin or is that what they're called not tarkin tarkinen what are tarkinen? they harkinen tarkinen gosh the house of harkinen they're positioning the house of harkinen is like the 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 like ruly people who are going to come in and, and clean up the society but in reality in this they kind of frame it as uh at least from the perspective they kind of start the very first scene is from the perspective of zendaya's character who is um from the feudal planet with you know from with the spices so it gives you it gives you more of a perspective of like the oppressed like from the very jump and it's going to be showing you at least to me is is showing you the the journey of freeing yourself and freeing being freed from like an oppressive system so 
or at least that's what I hope it's going to show. I, I hope I hope that's what's going to show for. It. So I'm just excited to see that storyline continue. I'm excited to see what you know. We had a, we spent a lot of time with the House of Harkonnen, but now we're going to spend a lot of time with the people on the planet of Arrakis and see how how this fight's going to play out in the second movie. Hopefully, so. Yeah, let's let's dive right into that because I was kind of kind of save that for the end. But let's start out with the actual themes inside the movie, inside the story. Full disclosure, guys, we are not Doom experts and Doom novelists. Uh, you know, super expert guys. I have never read the novel. I actually actually want to read the novel, uh, but I don't feel like we necessarily have to read the novel to have an appreciation for the film. We are a film podcast, so we will be discussing the film as we took it in because that's what we do for a film podcast. Um, so let's talk about the movie and the themes itself and what Denny and Frank were introducing inside this movie. So I think the favorite, my favorite part of this entire movie, as much as the spectacle is kind of what drives you into the story, guys, is the story. Uh, it, it really is the idea of imperial imperialism, resources, taking over a planet, ignoring the native people of the planet, uh, treating them like savages, uh, treating them like subhuman, using your wealth and your power and your exploitation of their resources to kind of justify any actions necessary. It's almost the perfect idea of this uh, capitalism who just takes over the planet and squeezes it until the very end. There's even that famous line from the Baron who says, squeeze because we need all the income we can get. Um, and they say basically kill all the Fremen who are the native people of Arrakis. And that's how that's who the Harkonnen represent. And then when Atreides comes in, the Fremen still view them as an outsider who wants to take over the planet and take over the resources, which is what they want to do. Uh, so how do you guys feel about this theme of like powerhouse planets and houses and military, basically military families, which is what the Harkonnen and the Atreides represent? fighting over the resources of this planet. I'll start with you, Sabrina. Yeah, I mean, for a book that came out so many decades ago, um, I think these themes are still relevant, maybe even more so than ever. And yeah. I think it's really relevant to our future. And like, the thing that I love about science fiction in general is because how much we can take from our own society and see within this and see this kind of like dystopian world and the directions that people are heading because this is all scenarios that I would 100% believe in could possibly happen. And something else, uh, something else that I love about Dune is the fact that it is very different from a lot of the science fiction works that we've seen lately. I mean, like it, it inspired so much, but at the same time, it doesn't necessarily have like the aliens or like any type of like crazy creature even like the animal we see is like a little like mouse type of creature that looks like despero from the tales of despero that like uh but the sandworms as well but nothing that's too like crazy or out there this definitely feels like pretty much so like grounded and it's stuff that i could see so i think they did a fantastic job of nailing that throughout these characters and also like the coming of age aspect of it all with paul i mean he's at a place where People are talking about him as like the chosen one. He's in a place of extreme privilege and he's coming into this position without necessarily really earning it. He, it's because of his bloodline. And we see that in society as well in so many different places. But at the same time, his family is actually a really good family. Like they're a good group of people. And as much as they are looking out for themselves and their own people, 
they're also being very nice to the natives of the planet. And they're also like um, kind of going in a different direction than we see from Stellan Skarsgård's character. So I find that to be very fascinating. Yeah, RB3, how do you feel about this whole, you know, planet versus planet fighting over the resources of one planet while ignoring, ignoring the native people of that planet? You're muted. Sorry. I think it's a very true to the reality of like what, what war and what uh, imperialism actually is too, right? I mean, we see that in the United States government, how we go from sometimes country to country um, under the guise of military intervention, under the guise of cleaning up a, a, a society or a country, and really is to jack and, and milk as many resources as possible. And you even see that in Oscar Isaac's um, character who, um, you know, is like the, the, the obviously the, the main guy. I don't know. He's like the emperor. I don't know what they technical term is board or whatever yeah Lord. um you see him talk you see him literally lie to benicio del toro's not benicio del toro i'm sorry um uh, javier bardem's face um uh, man that was really messed up um uh, you see him lie to like javier bardem's face like oh yeah no we're not gonna take any of your resources like of course not and he's like sir we we need that like that's kind of the whole mission like why we're here and it's like yeah we just we got milk up we got we got build up to him and that's what that's what uh, imperial industrial society is that's what capitalism ultimately breeds but then we see how how these um how those how those other dudes again i i'm so bad with names but how the day batista the Harkin? home the Harkin Harkin. is yeah how they're brutal and savage just like josh brolin was saying like they're not human um like you know how they how they get down and you see oh yeah they definitely you definitely gonna need some help um taking them down because they they as opposed to the more like quiet kind of peaceful intervention that house of harkonnen tries to go through and execute peacefully uh is for you know, they, yeah uh you know they're, they're not trying to they're not trying to uh act the, the they're not trying to house of treaties man i'm so bad at all this the harkonnen ain't trying to ain't trying to ain't trying to uh, go on that vibe so of course there's obviously that huge attack um uh, which again ultimately ends up probably hurting more um iraqans than it did uh uh, actual uh, House of Harkonnen people, I guess maybe they mostly attack their own territory, but it just goes to show innocent lives being kind of like lost at the expense of like this uh, in-between military thing. So it's just fascinating. I love how they portray, um, I think I think it's very purposeful how they portray the, Ar the, the Arkans in this as mostly black and brown people uh, to kind of show love how throughout the history of society, the oppressors typically um, the oppressed, the oppressed people are usually black and brown people in a certain society. Fremen, but yeah, Fremen. Fremen. I don't know what I'm saying, man. Fremen. Uh, <laughs> you keep messing them up. You're like the Harkonnen or the oppressed, you know and I'm what? like Batista's tough. oppressed. No, no, the, <laughs> the 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 art the 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 Fremen. So Fremen. What plan? All right. So which planet is which? Just Arrakis. Some, all right, all right. So they're on Arrakis, right? So Fremen. why ain't they called Arrakians on Arrakis? They're called Fremen. All right, they're called Fremen. All right, so the Fremen got big blue eyes, which is just funny because they're black people. Um, but then they got these, these cool. giant blue eyes. Yeah, they do. There's a, there's a dude named Sterling Vincent who was like he was like black, but he had like these these um, green eyes in high school, and he just always pulled, man. I mean, he was like the, the swaggiest <laughs> dude in the entire the entire campus. I never understood it. Uh, it had to be the eyes. But man, Zendaya looks great in those eyes. The whole, the whole, all of them look great. And That's the resource they want, it's them damn eyes. They want their eyes, man. They want that the spice. The Kelly Ubri like, eyes. And the spice, and the, the spice is 
a big metaphor for as we've seen throughout history in Asia uh, through the opioid trade trading, right? And how that's been like one of the biggest, um, or I mean, there's mad examples of trading through, that's happened through, throughout history. Gunpowder, anything. Gunpowder, oil. Think, oil, yeah, oil is yeah. a big example in terms of modern context, right? But I think in terms of when you look at the, the opioids in particular, right, how it has multiple uses. It could be used for medicine or it could be used as like psychedelics, you know, all that kind of stuff. Mm. I think that kind of applies here, right, how they kind of use the spice for the navigation for the ships. I think that's such an interesting concept in the fact of like, Culturally, it represents something to one people, but to the rest of the empire represents something completely different and how the jacking of those resources means. So there's so many like real world parallels that come yeah. from this. And I think it's, again, just just like Sabrina said, like I enjoy, I really enjoy the fact that it's a sci-fi movie property story that is fully about humans in the future. Like they're all some variation of humans to some extent or another. Um, I don't know what's up with Homeboy and he was doing the flying weird stuff. Um, and of course there's, uh, the chosen Messiah homie, uh, that the wishes were, were proclaiming, but yeah. otherwise it's pretty, like, it's pretty grounded. So I, I enjoy some good grounded sci-fi. Yeah, no, to me, I really enjoy that aspect as well. Uh, I love the idea of having parallels and crossover parallels between this idea. I love the idea of like the more that humanity evolves, uh, in the future, the more it regresses back to medieval times. Mm -hmm. And the fact that we start to act more and more like kings and queens and kind of forget the whole democracy thing. And we're just like, yeah, we're just going to let this guy run everything, whether it's Atreides or Harkonnen. Uh, they kind of let themselves rule by this power of the bloodline, like you said, Sabrina. And I find that I find that so fascinating. That's one of my favorite aspects of like sci-fi storytelling. And it obviously happens in Star Wars as well, where it's still kind of this idea of like bloodline being passed down. And it's that idea of these houses kind of fighting over this one uh, pure resource. But to me, the idea of everyone fighting over one image and one ideology is also very interesting. I like how they describe the Harkonnen, not necessarily the way Josh Brolin describes him, but the way that Zendaya Chani describes him when she says that they had so much wealth that they were just like diving in it. They were richer than the emperor is what she said in the very first scene in the movie. Um, she said the Harkonnen were richer than the emperor himself. Uh, and they were so obsessed with their wealth that they just never wanted to give it up and just make more. Uh, and obviously, as I referenced before, the Baron's line of squeezing. Uh, what do you think of that idea of how much wealth doesn't necessarily produce uh, prosperity, Sabrina, but instead it produces more monstrous actions. How do you uh, appreciate that aspect of the film? Well, I think it's a way that we can always kind of look at greed and wealth in general throughout the world and like throughout history. You know, a lot of the times when people tap into specific resources or they accumulate a lot of wealth, instead of it's it's kind of interesting because they always just like want more, more, more. And we see it from a lot of the people like even currently they have so much money that they can't even spend it. Yet there's no other way to distribute the wealth or try to make a better reality for a lot of other people and a better world for so many people. Like caring about those aspects of life, I feel like are so much more important than having your own greed, power, wealth, being able to do whatever you want, just like squeezing everything until it's dry and then leaving it. We already have we have billionaires right now going to space for literally nothing, like for no reason, not really doing anything. Um, there's like 
everybody there's like conspiracy theories on like oh people are going to create like a colony on mars one day when earth's depleted of its resources and it's just crazy how with our like rising sea levels and stuff like that instead of putting the money towards something that could help us in present day we're already looking for ways to escape because what we have created throughout society and throughout history of our own home um so yeah i feel like the way that they kind of explore that is so interesting and then also like the fashion i know this has nothing to do with that no it's beautiful love the fashion in so much of this um i think lady jessica looks incredible but also definitely very like yeezy runway at the Mm. same time right like yeah i i think it looks great i think it fits in with the story very well but at first it was definitely a little like i don't know i was looking at timothy chalamet's shoes and i'm like I don't know. That's some easy runway stuff. It's. Be- I, I think the the costume department absolutely killed it. I, I also, love the, the technology idea. they've created to kind of like acclimate to their um, their surroundings and their climate. Yeah. I think is so so interesting. And like, yeah, seeing the state of that planet and everything that happens, where like people can't even be outside during the day. There's specific times that are the best. You have to recycle your own sweat, your own tears, or whatever it may be for some more water it's it's just it's very dark because it's so close to our reality in such a hard to swallow dystopian way but like people buy bottled um oxygen like not like oxygen in like a tank or anything like that but like in like a spray can that you could put up to your mouth and it's like this is something that we have here but our resources are so shot in certain areas and only rich people can purchase something like that you have to be wealthy to in order to do so so it's kind of forgetting some parts of society and some people in it yeah no i love that idea and i love the idea of like there's so many themes in this movie and even if it's like a little sprinkle here and there it's still really interesting that i that's why i would love to eventually read the book which i will i'll probably end of the year i'll read the book um but the idea kind of like what i said before that the harkonnen are the richest and instead of being the most proper you know prosperous utopian society they're kind of the opposite they're the most brutal most rural most like old school medieval like disgusting society because they're just so focused on making the most money and making the most money means killing the most people uh and because that's what it is because the less people they have the less people they have to share with so they don't worry about the fremen or sharing with the fremen they just kill them if they get in their way and they use their heavy machinery and their weapons to do that. And I kind of like that idea of like the richest people are actually the most disgusting, which is the Harkonnen. And the poorest people and the people who just live off the land might be the most powerful. And we don't even know because we kind of ignore them. And that's why I like the idea of the Atreides family coming in and saying, hey, let's try a different way. If we can cross the bridge, if we can make some sort of alliance with this people, maybe we can harbor a different kind of power. And I love the idea that Oscar Isaac keeps saying sand power, sand power. Um, But I really do appreciate sand power because I really did feel that because it felt like his idea of saying, hey, these people are beautiful, powerful, and in in different ways that we don't even comprehend. And, And instead of fighting them and suppressing them, and not understanding their ways and their culture, let's make an alliance with them. And that's what he instills in Timothy Chalamet's Paul character. Um, And that's why I love the idea of different families and different houses in the Atreides house, kind of allowing 
different cultures to come in, which is what the Lady Jessica represents, with, which is the Ben and Jesuit, with the Ben and Jesuit representing faith, religion, powers, mysticism, all this kind of weird, crazy stuff, crossing over with this crazy military martial arts family, which is House Atreides. And he loves that alliance. I'm talking about Oscar Isaac's character, Leto, loves the alliance because he feels like it's the best of both worlds. And he says, this is perfect because we are one and we are the same, even though we come from such different backgrounds. How do you feel about the whole cross-cultural idea, RB3, in the movie? What well, I, well, I think is interesting. Well, for one, I think it's interesting. I'm a little interested by your interpretation of that, actually, because I don't think it's... Um, well, first of all, going back to going back to the whole idea of like the Bene Gesserit representing like the religious faction of 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 the society of the empire in general, how they low key like play a big piece in like the influence of it all. Like they were kind of, they if you listen closely, they were the ones who made the request to send um, the House of uh, House of Harkonnen. No, not House of Harkonnen. Atreides. House of Atreides to Arrakis. Yeah, they sent. They made that. They they made the call to the emperor to do that because they have been because the Bene Gesserit have been low key mind controlling, mind manipulating people for the last ten thousand years, trying to figure out who is going to be this next like kind of messiah, chosen one kind of figure ish, right? So then yeah. when they actually stumble across him, and he turns out to be the uh, and it turns out to be the the head of House of T. Uh, Trades, I'm just going to call it House of T. House of T, uh, when he ends up being the son of House of T, you know, he has all these extra special mind, military abilities, all this kind of stuff. On top of having his mom, who's been pretty much low-key conditioning him and, and grooming him to be this kind of messiah-ish figure, um, it ends up leading to, you know, it, 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 it's just interesting that, that it's kind of the, this this book and this movie is kind of, introducing this theme of like breeding a messiah a little bit like instead of like the traditional hero journey myth somebody kind of stumbling into that position this is a story of somebody assuming that position almost like them being told like hey your entire life like low-key has been devoted towards you hitting this goal and now that you're here on this planet like this is your time that you're supposed to hit it so i think it's um i think it's fascinating but i do think it's interesting um, I just want to get your opinion, Ace, because there's because it's almost like the idea of like the chosen one, but almost like the idea of like him being like the lone, like almost like the white savior in the sense of, in the sense of having the, him being the chosen one to save this planet. How everybody's kind of bowing down to him. How even the house cleaner lady is like, oh my gosh, it must be you. Like she brings a whole knife to the house and everything like that. Like is that something that is a current? sci-fi idea like that's not something that i i don't know maybe it's just me i feel like that's a little bit something a little bit dated you know i feel like that's something that's coming right out of 1960 sci-fi do you think that's a place in today's uh interpretation of science fiction i don't know yeah no i i think it's interesting right because obviously i haven't read the novel i just i interpreted it as these houses are set up the way they are for a reason and that Harkonnen, Atreides, Ben and Gesserit, the Emperor's House, all the other 10 houses or whatever, how many there were, are very much in the mindset of keep things the way they are. Keep things status quo. Keep things running on the same bloodline in the same set. 
same house Harkonnen, same person, like almost like Lannister. You guys haven't, you guys don't know Game of Thrones. I wish, I wish you did. But in Game of Thrones, the the Lannisters and the Targaryens cross bloodlines. They straight up do incest because they they want to keep their bloodlines so pure that they literally marry brother and sister, brother and cousin, cousin and cousin, like cousin and uncle. Like there's they, a lot of incest in there's there's a lot, but they do that because they feel like their bloodline is pure. And they feel like the purity of their bloodline is what makes them strong. And that's how they do it. Um, and in this novel, that's the same way I, I thought I was kind of vibing with it. That's how I was interpreting it as like Harkonnen and Atreides and that they wanted to keep everything status quo. And that Atreides or Leto and the Bene Gesserit wanted to take a risk and wanted to cross bloodlines because that in that world, in that universe, it's considered to be weird. Like you just don't make peace with the Fremen. You don't cross bloodlines with these people. You just don't do that. That's how I interpreted it. And that's why I felt like that was kind of cool because it's the idea of like crossing cultures. It's the idea of like how I interpret myself as far as like Mexicano Colombiano. And I say, I'm 100% Mexicano. I'm 100% Colombiano. I'm 100% Latino, 100% American. I have the ability to be everything that I am because of who my parents are. And it's whether they come from two different nations and have two different upbringings and two different ideologies, they can both instill in me whatever they want to instill. And then what comes out of me is my choice, my decision, but it comes from both my father and my mother. And that's kind of how I interpreted it versus being, this is how Atreides does it, period. That's just how we do it. I saw it more as like, this is how the Bene Gesserit does it, mom, 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 mom. And then dad comes in and he's like, yo, Atreides, we're gangsters, we kill stuff, this is what we do, but we also want to make peace, we're warriors, but this is also what we do, we got to be ready. And then you have Josh Brolin's character. And then crossing that over, having that mix of bloodlines allows opportunities for different ideas and different ideologies to be born, which is what comes in with the Fremen, which obviously he has the idea of making peace with the Fremen which again is also the idea of crossing bloodlines and, and crossing cultures. So I don't know if that answers your question, RB3, but maybe that's why I thought it was kind of cool. Cause I was like, oh, it's like the idea of like, we're, we're, I'm coming from different cultures and different backgrounds. So I'm my own person, I'm my own being, but I'm also the best of every world. I'm the best of Mexico and Colombia, of the Middle East of and this other country, or you know what I'm saying? Like, I love the idea of cultures coming together as well yeah but i don't i just wonder i don't think it was organic though and i don't think it was by any stretch of imagination organic to do that yeah definitely not on the Bene Gesserit part the Bene Gesserit definitely have their own maybe on leto's part maybe on oscar isaac's part but definitely not on her part right i mean also too i also kind of feel like and also this is just me but i feel like the i feel like this is just power with power too like it's like yeah um one you know one uh uh, Atreides, like, to, to me, it's just like one, like uh, a head head white dude from here meets um, head associate from church here, and they get married, and then they have a Jesus baby. Like that's what the that's what the movie is essentially saying, right? Like, I don't know. I I didn't take it like that, but I don't know. What do you think, Sabrina? I. I kind of see both. I feel like we didn't get enough of the story really yet. To I agree with that too. Because we don't know how it's going to end, maybe. Because yeah, 
and I do know, I know the books. I don't know how closely they're going to stick with it or what their plans are going to be. Um, but I feel like it's almost too early to say that kind of, but like, it is really interesting because I feel like even with this connection that we already saw, just talking about the movie and what we've seen with this one, with like Paul and Chani, like it's really interesting to see how they are going to connect and how they are going to continue to do the things that they do within their own like communities and kind of like lead in that way with Paul being the one, um, which is also just funny that the entire time it's Timothy Chalamet, it's this like scrawny kid and everybody's like uh, clowning on him about it throughout this entire thing. We have so many moments. They lean so heavily into this of just like, oh, this is him. I don't believe it's him. This is the one, this is the one we're talking about. Um, so I guess it's what he does with this, this power that he has that is really going to kind of change the way that I see him as a character. I think right now this was a really good way of introducing him into this coming of age story hero's journey. Um, it's just, I feel like we didn't get enough yet. Yeah, you might be right, Everything. Maybe this whole thing is going to be Paul is the villain. And maybe at the end of the day, maybe, maybe that's what the vision he saw uh, inside the tent where he felt like he, he was the villain. I don't know. I don't necessarily say he's going to be the villain. I just don't think, I'm not saying he's the villain. I'm saying that I don't think it's the most like positive thing. Like you, like for Ace, you, you got, you, you, you get heated at me every time we talk about Falcon Winter Soldier, because you're like, the idea of like super soldiers is like uh, a stupid idea. It's like Nazism, da, da, da. That's essentially what the Benny Jesuit like admitted to what they're trying to do. Like they sent out a bunch of dreams to a bunch of different people throughout the entire world and seeing which one can catch and which one like actually has a vision that like they could set a path to. Like they say, like, we're going to set you a path. Like this path has been set. Like we're going to set you on the way towards following this Jesus I keep saying Jesus, but that's essentially what the metaphor is. Yeah, they say it's a test is what they say. Yeah, 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 it's a test. Like they've been testing, but they, this isn't the first person they've tested though. Like, I think she says like, you know, we've tested people before. Like, I think she says that like, so then in that, like they've been trying to look for this person. They also sent Rebecca, who's clearly been on an ally for them. Like before, again, I don't know like the full story, but it seems like they sent Rebecca to marry Oscar Isaac's character, yeah, and and hopes of like well because that hap- of that happening right like of them finding the Messiah figure right yeah I mean like the Benny Benny Jesuit they are like a group of like spies and scientists and just a, like a whole community of so many different people that kind of infiltrate their way in order to pursue what they want to so yeah, yeah. I mean it, so it makes sense that they are like. Yeah, we kind of set this up. Even in the sequences that we got with Rebecca Ferguson and Oscar Isaac, like they don't necessarily seem like, you know, like they really even love each other. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Like they don't really have that much chemistry. I feel like it is one of those things where this is kind of the path that is set out to you and the path that makes the most sense. And they both just kind of roll with it. Yeah, I don't know. I can't speak to to maybe their relationship. Maybe maybe on her on her part for sure. I definitely don't know what Oscar Isaac's Leto, his whole position is, because I doubt he's like in on it and he's in on the Bene Gesserit plan. But but it's definitely one of those things. Well, where no, because we... he seemed he seemed like upset when he kind of heard about like some of the things that uh, was happening. That's what I mean. Yeah, he's going through. Exactly. So I don't think he's I don't think necessarily so in on it. But mm-hmm. I also don't I also think it's one of those situations where 
she is a very strong intelligent woman and then he's like all right like i am this lord i also want this like strong intelligent woman who comes from this background not necessarily thinking that this was her motive all along um and rebecca ferguson does a really really incredible job of portraying that in a very like vulnerable where I'm not necessarily rooting for her all the time, but at the same time, like I want her to like be okay because of the position she's in. Um, I just find that to be interesting. Yeah, no, I, I guess to answer your question, RB3, kind of going back to your point, I, I just see this as like a completely crazy fictional story. I don't really see it the same as Falcon and Winter Soldier, which is like a much more like set in 2020 kind of story inside real world America. I see this set as this crazy, weird, futuristic planet future where it's like 20,000 years in the future. And it's like, you know, Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader, where it's like, why does Luke Skywalker have to be the hero? You know, why does it have to be the son of Darth Vader? Like, it's the same thing where it's just like, yeah, there's right. a lot of, or Game of Thrones, where it's like these houses and these bloodlines, it's the same thing. Like, we're gonna end up having one of them be like a good guy slash hero, even though that's, that's just the story yeah. they've set I up. It's not necessarily, supposed to be like america 2020 yeah no but i don't so i don't i don't disagree with you there i don't i don't watch game of thrones either but at least in star wars it's not like it's not like it's not like it's luke was dark vader's son like by accident like that wasn't an intentional thing like he discovered that because he fought dark vader like he would have yeah. he would have never known that if he had he he knows he knew that because he met Obi Wan Kenobi. Like he wouldn't have yeah. been intended to go down that journey. It's like with this, it feels a little weirder for Doom for me because it's like he was not only picked, he was not only groomed, but the path is set for him like to go down this journey already by a shadowy group of like you know which and and again this is just my metaphor for how i kind of see the society whereas the emperor and the house people are like the military and like the arms of government the Bene jesuit are more of like the witches and like the religious arm mm -hmm. like the church and the state you know so it's like imagine if in any society 19th century england or 25th century like america or 25th century like you know wherever uh any country like the church of that organization literally making like their own like man-made jesus and feeding it to the world like that to me just sounds a little like weird to me so that's just that's the one thing I'm like yeah. where's that going to lead to like is that going to lead to something in the second movie is that gonna where's that going to build to is that going to lead to some sort of realization i mean i i assume like denny villeneuve's like a smart enough filmmaker to just not like address that in some way but i don't know i mean i feel like that's like that's kind of like the biggest elephant in the room that I feel like not a lot of people are talking about. And I don't know, so. No, I really, I actually agree with you with a lot of it. I don't think we've seen enough to like step into it yet. And I feel like that is something mm. Denny will probably address or we'll see at some point being addressed maybe by somebody else in the movie. Um, because I think the biggest thing with like Herbert's novel, also um, Denny's film, is the fact that we are literally focusing on humanity the entire time we are focusing on the politics between the people the relationships between everybody literally this entire film and so like i feel like with something like that like yeah it can get a little murky when somebody is just like completely groomed to be in this position but also it's like 
at the same time, really not far off from like reality, not even necessarily like dark realities from the past, but even when it comes to like wealthy families who purposefully like have their children meet so that the wealth stays in the family or whatever mm, sure. it may be, yeah. there's so much of this and it's not necessarily like evil or anything, um, but it's definitely like looking out for yourselves and your own bloodline more than anyone else, which is also an issue. Um, I feel like with like Lady Jessica, I think we're going to get a lot because um, they even mentioned how like they didn't want her to have a boy like they wanted her to have a girl because this whole society focuses on women on and women, how yeah. women are infiltrating everything. So this kind of throws a wrench in all of their plans because they didn't even want him to begin with. Um, so I feel like that kind of complicates things a lot as well. So it's going to be interesting to see how he's embraced by everybody, how he's embraced by like the Furman, if he's embraced by them and kind of where they're going to go in the future with this story. Yeah. I mean, if anything, you see that scene where uh, Paul is kind of resentful towards his mother because of yeah. all the visions he's having and because of the powers he has. And at the end of the movie, the last shot we get is... Uh, Lady Jessica looking super suspicious, uh, almost as if she might. I, I kind of interpreted it again, guys. I don't know anything about Dune. I have literally no idea. I thought she was going to be the villain in, in the second movie. I, that's how I interpreted it. Kind of, kind of how she was looking at like, like, ooh, I don't like my son with this girl or something like that. I don't know. Maybe that's how I interpreted it. I do it. think she's like a morally ambiguous character. Yeah. I don't I th think she's necessarily like evil or good. Sure. She kind of like in for her own um kind of i don't know like what's gonna fit her narrative like the best yeah that's how i i interpreted it as like maybe she's gonna be uh a little bit more twisted in part two i don't know is that how you interpreted two rb3 i don't know i think it was again her plan being fulfilled like her vision that she has set up from the beginning like actually becoming to fruition because i think there's you took that as like she was happy about it i, I she was kind of scowling i thought she was scowling not, not necessarily scowling but i mean i guess not necessarily like happy because she wanted like, to this wanted plan. to get him off world she was like let's get off world and he's like no mom we're staying here and i like this girl and i thought she was like you see you see a close-up of her face going like this kind of like scowling at him and uh zendaya's character and i took that as like oh maybe she's gonna be like you can't be with this girl we have to do things my way and he's like no i want to be with these people uh, that's all I took it. I don't know. Interesting. Yeah. I don't know. I don't, I don't really know what I read from that. I guess I've read, I guess I probably did read like maybe disapproval, but I, I guess I also read like, I guess, I don't know. I guess I probably saw that moment as like, uh, as just like part, I, I thought part of the plan. Like, I feel like, I don't know. I feel like it was. They've been they've been alluding to so much dreaming that like he's been doing like how much is going to build up into the second movie like how much you know he sees himself in like that gold or like silver armor doing all those crazy fight moves like and you know I guess I'm guessing in the war against the of the Harkonnen yeah I think like pre preparing for that war fight now or start a car but still Okay, now you're just confusing me. Sardaukar um, is the what he saw in the vision, which is the Emperor's army. You lost me. You lost me. Yo, dude, um, they did. How did I, I lose so you? Shocked. With all of this, like, genuinely, it is a feat with all of this stuff, all of this exposition that is constantly building upon itself. The fact that it has such high audience scores, when it is pretty complicated to kind of get into and to, like, really discuss. 
I think sure. is pretty pretty spectacular. Yeah, no. So the Sardaukar are the guys in all white who we see in that crazy scene with the blood and the guys in the upside down crosses and the crucifix. Uh, and they represent the emperor's army who help the Harkonnen. So they're on the Harkonnen side. So it's still on that same train of thought. You're still okay. right. All right. All right. For sure. For sure. I just, I just think, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know. I thought she was in on the dreams. Maybe she isn't in on the dreams that he's yeah. having. Um, I thought, you know, um, I don't know. I don't know what to think from that. You're right. Maybe I got to go back and rewatch that last scene again. So I, I just, I just think it's cool because I, this is what's fun about the movie, right? Because we all don't know what's going to happen next. We can all kind of speculate and say, Ooh, maybe she's an antagonist. Maybe the Bene Gesserit are actually bad. Maybe they're actually good. Maybe their intentions are good. I think maybe. it's literally morally gray in that they're just selfish. And I think with something like this, I think it's a perfect way to kind of leave the character for now while we speculate, while we have something to look forward to in the next film. Because but I guess that's I my point. It's like, it's cool. It's yeah, cool yeah, to I like speculate sides of like, debate. I don't necessarily know if yeah. she is going, if she even is a good person from what we've seen so far. I really don't think so. Like she went behind, um, behind uh, Oscar Isaac's back yeah. and did all of these things. She comes from a society that is clearly like very much so like morally gray, yeah. morally ambiguous and working with kind the of doing stuff for their own gain necessarily at the end of the day like that's that's how yeah. they are so is she still on that same type of path is she doing all of this for like her gain as well and with like having paul be the one how will that you know like help her life and like elevate herself even though she already was in like one of the highest seats being like the duke's wife um it's it's all really interesting but i i can definitely see both sides 100 i don't even necessarily have a clear one i just think with her performance and what she dealt with throughout the film, I don't think she's gonna be the person that we necessarily root for in the next one. Uh, with that said, guys, we're gonna to go to break. After the break, we're gonna be talking about the cinematic atmosphere of Dune, so make sure you guys stick around. This ain't funny, so don't you dare laugh. With the 450 you in have you seen our non-spoiler review of Dune, which we recorded right outside of the movie theaters? Well, if you haven't, be sure to check it out exclusively on our YouTube channel, First Cut. Here's a clip. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. This is my second movie that I've watched today, so I've been sitting down in a movie theater for about like five and a half hours at this point today. Um, but I really enjoyed it. I liked a lot of Denny's work, and I feel like this is a good mixture of his style but also resonating with like a general audience, I feel like. I feel like um, some people can really find something to love in this movie. And I think with the demographics of like the Timothy Chalamet fans, the Zendaya fans, all the way to the Oscar Isaac fans, somebody could find something in this to love. I feel like we just got to meet the characters. I feel like we didn't get enough. That's like the only thing that kind of turned me off a little bit is that with this film, which we know because this is highly publicized already, how they're already planning a sequel. They're kind of banking on the fact that there is going to be a sequel. And I feel like that might be a detriment to the overall film because at this point, we only feel like we got like a chunk of the story and not necessarily all of it, but I did really enjoy the chunk that we got. Come along, children. Now we're going to have a little music. Alrighty, guys, we are back talking about Dune. We saw Denny's Dune in theaters. Let's talk about the adaptation aspect of this film. I think what makes 
the movie okay how do you guys feel about adapt how about i ask this question like this how do you guys feel about adapting dune as a movie versus a series i'll start with you sabrina it is definitely a choice because dune is very dense there is a lot to cover I think if we are going to put it into the hands of a good director like Denny, I think that's somebody that can definitely navigate through this story very, very well, especially knowing the fact that we probably have a sequel already in the works. They're, they're kind of ambiguous on that. Um, but if that's successful as well, we might see another one. Like I mentioned earlier, right at the beginning, we covered such a small fraction of this story that there is a lot more to kind of work with. But getting this exposition out of the way, I feel like sets us up for a journey with our characters that we've already been introduced to. We already really enjoy and like really admire even some of the supporting cast that we got with like um, Jason Momoa and other people who didn't make it out of the film. I think we really enjoyed our time like meeting them and understanding more about their society and their culture the way that they view everything. I think in a miniseries, you have a lot more room to work with. You're talking about more runtime right away. Um, that's something that I think could have been a plus for this story. But with this first one that we already got, it makes me very excited to see what we're gonna get in the future. And I think Denny can do a really great job at it. How about you, RB3? Do you feel like this could have worked better as a series? No, I don't think it would have worked better as a series. I like movies. Um, and I think, you know, having a movie on this massive scale um, is important. I like I like seeing movies that are, 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 like, TV is great, but TV could also be limiting. And even though we have great shows like Game of Thrones and all that kind of stuff, um, I don't, you know, it's not necessary for everything. Like, I do think, like, you know, like, I think there's challenge to like adapting and slimming things down. I think there's also a lot of great mythology that could come from that as well. So wow. I like the the amazing amount of mythology that we get in this movie, but also like the scale that we could present it as yeah. on the big screen with, you know, huge, uh, you know, with huge, you know, effects with tight uh, lenses, you know, there's, yeah, through sandworms, like there's just <laughs> stuff that is super cinematic to me and just like the i can't make it like the lord of the rings like uh original series you know like how those movies how those books are dense and compact and you know have a lot of information but it makes it so much richer when you're able to compress it and really trim down the fat if it's a series of dune like it's gonna be 10 episodes it's gonna feel like it's dragging for like four of them and then we're gonna get to the end and we're gonna you know see what happens but i think in a movie in, or at least two or three movies, I think two, they're going to do two. I think with two movies, you can have an epic, cerebral, transfixing experience that with a beginning and an end that doesn't like have to be weird. You know, you have to sit through for a bunch of hours. So, Yeah, I feel that, man. There's something about the big screen. There's something about the cinematic atmosphere that lends to this source material so well, which is why I love... Every aspect of film to me is just an artistic choice. I'm, I'm just obsessed with this stuff, guys. Obviously, you guys know this. But like to me, like you said, Sabrina, every aspect of film is so purposeful and so beautiful and it's art in its own way, which is why I love the costumes. I love the score. I love the visuals, the shots the cinematographer does. The VFX work is really, really well done. The crafting of this film, the shooting locations, so good. Look it's what cinema. happens when we do, like when we create a sci-fi film 
that mixes visual effects and also practical yeah, sets it's beautiful. and different pieces like that. It's lush, it's vibrant, it's alive. Like it's immersive. I, we are, yeah, that was exactly what I was gonna say. We are 100% immersed into this world that does take place on our planet. But at the same time, we believe that it doesn't. They were able to create an environment that I feel like is so captivating with everything. The way when Timothy Chalamet is like putting his hands through the sand, the way that we like see the spice and things like that, it's just so beautiful. It's almost to the point because we saw it in an amazing theater. Like I can't imagine the people that are watching like IMAX or different things like that. You are just thrust into this 100%. You are a character in the story because of the way that the score just elevates every single thing. There is so slaps. much score. It, it slaps. It slaps 100%. and it slaps you in the face. Literally. Uh, it does both. Uh, I love the, the mixing, bro. Uh, a lot of people are complaining about the idea of the score being so loud and just like screaming at you, but I love it. I feel like it's supposed to be screaming it's at like you. Epic. It's supposed to like make you feel like, oh my God, Jesus Christ. Like you're supposed to be saying these things as you're watching it because it is so loud and it is so emphatic and so over the top intense uh, because it, it's supposed to create that atmospheric effect of uh, a different world, a different planet, a different story that you've never seen before on screen being told. And that's why I appreciate Denny just going all out, not just with the story and with the performances, but with, as I said before, every aspect that filmmaking entails, which is the background extras, the Atreides, their style of martial arts, their style of fighting, the way you introduce each house and each family feels very unique and different and specific to what you want to interpret inside the film. And that's what is associated with the film, which is why I feel like movies like these are important. Right, RB3? Yeah, I think they're super important. I think that's why, um, I think that's why this movie deserves a big screen treatment. I think having... Um, I think, you know, they, there's always talk in Hollywood about the unfilmable book and the unfilmable uh, property. And a lot of times those unfilmable things do come out kind of trash, but when they do hit, they hit they hit really hard. And I think that's something that Dune is. It's a hard-hitting, um, it's a hard-hitting adaptation that, like, is both faithful, but also finds ways to, like, cinematically reinterpret things in, like, creative ways, too. Like, the whole thing with the voice, I think was a really cool use of like sound design and camera trickery i think also you think about the scene when uh he's actually when the been jesuit lady is like putting his hand putting making him put his hand into the box and how much kind of restraint that denny villeneuve had to use in that kind of scene um how you kind of rely more on like performance and sound mixing and sound effects instead of like actual imagery and showing like what the pain like looks like and feels like inside of the box. Yeah. So I think that's all really interesting. Again, there's really, even though it's based on a book, there's a lot of uniquely cinematic moments that occur throughout the film. So it feels like a true adaptation instead of just like reading from the book, you know, page by page or whatever, so. Yeah, I think the uh, shock of seeing, I think that's the best word I'm trying to, I'm trying to find, but I think the shock of seeing such strange, uh, outfits, strange scenery, strange mm. different worlds feels mm. refreshing to an audience member because it makes you feel like you don't know what is going on, but you want to find out. You want to know who these people are, who House Atreides is, who the Fremen are, what the Sandworm is, how it's introduced, how it's teased, and how the first introduction of the Sandworm makes you feel the scale 
of how enormous and how powerful this can be. And it also introduces you who the Atreides are and how they view their workers and their people when they were talking about the spice over the people. And they were like, dude, the spice is like 10 times more important. And he's like, well, I'll save the 22 people. And they started to save them. But it also teases you with how powerful the sandworms are, which is a tease to the world building and the story structure of what Arrakis is. Uh, and I feel like that kind of stuff is so important for audiences who've never heard of Dune or don't know what Dune is, because unlike Superman, Batman, Spider-Man, and all these other properties that are really old and everyone has that idea in their head because they've seen the imagery, we've never seen the imagery, maybe besides the 1984 movie. Um, this is Not kind like of- this. <laughs> exactly, but this is kind mm -hmm. of a, a lot of people's first interpretation of what it looks like, and I think that's a really important uh, aspect of filmmaking is to introduce people to different planets and different worlds that aren't just like, oh, as Superman or, or it's Batman again, but it's this time it's a different Batman. And it's like, it's something feels different, it just feels different. Also, I think it's really refreshing to exactly what you were saying, have this story with characters that most people probably don't really know. Like, even yeah. if you've read the book, like, it's so different to finally just be able to see this on screen and to live in this world. Because, like, I love reading and I haven't been able to reread Dune before I saw it. I meant to. Um, but I think from what I remember of everything, I just think they did an absolutely phenomenal job with the casting and all the stuff that they were setting up in that book for like how somebody looked and like how somebody acted they they really captured that and i think denny took kind of what was introduced in the 84 film and then what we see in the book and really like had like a perfect marriage of both of them where it is still fun and we can still have like a good time while watching this which we see through some of the characters like duncan idaho or other people like that but at the same time this is hard hitting serious relevant um there's so much mystery in our own world and this world as well that we just have left to uncover there is so much going on behind the scenes that like we don't know yet and we're so i guess like enticed to kind of like sit in and enjoy this journey of what we're seeing through the eyes of like paul and everybody on this planet yeah, I think that's one of my favorite aspects of the of the movie as a whole. Uh, any final thoughts, RB3, on Dune and kind of the cinematic scale of the movie? Um, cinematic scale, like y'all said um, already, the score was fantastic. Hans kind of Zimmer um, score, man. did a great job Ooh. with. I felt I like it was ninety percent score. Zimmer's best in a very long time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah um, so apparently, he has some sort of. He turned down this. Uh, for one, he he turned down uh, to do Tenet. To do way. this movie, shout um, out to, to Ludwig. He did a great job in Teddy. Shout out to Ludwig and shout out to shout out to um, to Hans Zimmer. Apparently, had like a really like close personal connection to Dune growing up. It's uh, mm. one of his favorite um, books and movies, and he really channeled a lot of different like kind of elements and instrumentation. Apparently, like Indian bamboo flutes and just like all this. Like he he went like for somebody who obviously won an academy award for the lion king and has it kind of known for like traditionally like rhythmy kind of scores you look at inception even it's like the doom do 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 this was like a very like anti-rhythmic score um it's almost designed like not to stick with you and kind of and that's almost kind of more challenging disturbing way um and i felt like 
I didn't like the scoring Blade Runner 2049. I feel like that was just all drone, drone sounds. I feel like this was a lot more creative. So I, I totally dug it. Very creative, very interesting, different, unique. I love the vocals, just screaming. Uh, it, it felt very primal. It felt very different and distinct. Uh, made you feel like you were in a different universe and in a different planet. Uh, the score was definitely one of the highlights for me. And also what you said earlier, where it's like, yes, this is this like futuristic dystopian type of environment, but at the same time, it's like so regressed. And I feel like the, mm. the score really elevated that aspect of it. Yeah, no, it, it makes you feel like it is kind of like a medieval or like a, a kind of like a sand and sandals, sand, sword and sandals, sword and sandals kind of movie. Right? It almost felt like Gladiator to me. That was the one that felt like most similar. And he also did Gladiator, so there you go. Um, either way, guys, that is our episode on Dune. I hope you guys appreciated it. I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as we did. We definitely got sidetracked a little bit, but we promise we won't do that again. Either way, guys, for the First Cut crew, we have Sabrina. Sabrina, where can everyone find you? You guys can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at SabrinaXMonica, also on Twitter at SabrinaOnFilm. RB3. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at DirectorRB3. You can find me at Squad Leader Race, guys. Follow us at First Cut TMO. Leave us a comment. Let us, know, let us know what you thought of Dune in the comments down below. What did you think of the themes in the movie? What is your takeaway from the movie? Let us know in the comments down below. Either way, guys, for the First Cut crew, we're peacing out. Peace. Duncan Idaho is the MVP. Peace.